Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. Today's episode is going to be a little bit of a change of pace. But before we get into that, I just wanted to plug a couple of the programs and things I've got going on. Number one, I want to extend an invitation to every one of you to consider joining me on Mighty Networks, which is my private membership community. You can find out more about it on my website at natnidham.com. There's a tab at the top that says BSP community, but some of the things that we do in there, it's a small, intimate community. It is paid. So you always have the option, of course, to go to the free community on Facebook, which is the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group. But in the Mighty Networks community, I do live Q&As almost every week. And the weeks that I don't do live Q&As, I have an expert doing live Q&As instead of me. So for example, a couple of months ago, we had Dayan Goodenow, the plasmologen genius, come in and not only did he do a live Q&A, but he offered the community the opportunity to do a 30-day brain reset with plasmologens, including a before and after test. And last week, we just went through everybody's results with Dr. Goodenow and Everybody learned amazing things about their health and their brain. So we do these end of one experiments. We do, uh, like I said, the live Q and A's there's it's uncensored. So we don't have anybody watching what we're talking about. It's pretty neat. And also if you join as an annual member, you get access to the first version of my peptide crash course. And you will also get access to the second version of my peptide crash course, which I promise you is coming. I know it's taking forever to come out, but it is coming and you get that included with your annual membership. So that's the plug for the Mighty Networks group. The other thing I wanted to let you know about is for those of you who've missed it, I've got another Women's Longevity and Resilience Retreat, our third one coming up this November 1st to 6th in beautiful Cabarete on the Northeast coast of the Dominican Republic. It is for only 10 women only, and it's five days of beautiful movement outdoors, chef cooked meals. We do learning around nutrition, supplementation. We talk about bioregulators and peptides. We talk about biological age. We talk about all the things. And in addition to that, you get body work done. There's ice bathing, there's yoga, there's sunrise walks on the beach. It's a magical, magical, magical few days. And if this even begins to resonate for you, head on over to natnidham.com. There is a retreat page there, and there's a link to book a short call with me and my co-host, Dasha Maximov, where we can answer all your questions. Okay? So thank you so much, you guys, for being here. If you enjoy this episode and you get value from it, please make sure to share it with your friends and networks. And if you do enjoy the episode, then please make sure to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to it on, because this is what allows us to climb up the ranks. And I'll have you know that thanks to you guys, we're up consistently in the top 100, very often the top 50 podcasts in the US in the nutrition category. So let's talk about this episode. You've heard about how important organ meats are when it comes to health, but many people still shy away from the idea of consuming them in place of a steak, 
some cases it's because of taste or the X or whatever it is. So today I'm joined by James Berry, the founder of Pluck Seasonings, and we're going to talk about the many benefits of eating organ meats. We discuss why as a society we've moved away from them and the perception that certain foods are healthier than others. James also explains why he decided to start making Pluck Seasonings and how these organ meat seasonings compared to eating the real thing. And I will tell you from personal experience, they are delicious you wouldn't even know that you're eating organ meats. You just know that you're sprinkling really good tasting herbs and spices on your food. So James Barry was able to achieve this due to his 17 plus years in the culinary field. He started as a private chef cooking for celebrities, people like Tom Cruise, Mariska Hargitay, George Clooney, Gerard Butler, Barbara Streisand, and John Cusack. More recently, James launched his first functional food product, Pluck, an organ-based seasoning. It's the first of its kind, and it's an amazingly easy and delicious way for people to get organ meats into their diet. I mean, kids love this stuff. They don't care. It just tastes good. James is also a published cookbook author, having co-authored the recipes in Margaret Floyd's book, Eat Naked, and co-authored the follow-up cookbook, The Naked Foods Cookbook. He most recently co-authored the recipes in Dr. Alejandro Younger's book, Clean 7. So we want to thank you to our sponsors for making this episode possible. And of course, one of our sponsors would be Eat Pluck. If you want to get your hands on some of these delicious spice mixes, just use code BSP10 to save 10% on your order at eatpluck.com. Another one of our sponsors, Profound Health. You're going to learn more about their products later on this podcast to get your hands on some incredible bioregulator peptides, which by the way, where do you think bioregulators come from? They come from organs. So just go to profound-health.com and use promo code longevity15 to save 15% on your first order. And now, without any further delay, let's just jump into the episode. Enjoy. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Welcome to the show, James. It is such a pleasure to finally get to have this talk with you. Very exciting. Thank you for having me, Natalie. Of course, as always, we had a nice little chat before the podcast, and we first met at the Upgrade Labs conference in L.A., Yep, was it LA? yeah yeah in beverly this, hills actually yep, in september and uh, i remember walking by your booth a couple of times and i'm like spices what the hell are spices doing at the at the show and then all of a sudden i'm i see the word organs and i'm like and i've got a you know we can talk about this later i've got a bit of a soft spot for organ meats and just literally slam on the brakes and go wait what what are you doing here <laughs> <laughs> And, I know uh, I was I was really uh, impressed. We we got a lot of feedback on social media that we were one of people's favorite finds at a biohacking conference, a food product. So I was I was really honored that that was the case. Well, I think part of that is because the message is definitely getting out, certainly in the biohacking or health optimization community, about how important organ meats are, and yet as a culture. We don't like we don't like making them. We don't like touching them, and we don't like to eat them. And so, you know, it's it's part of that disconnect, really. That I think that's happened over time between people and their roots. Because as we were just talking about, if you look at any traditional cookbook, or you can get find someone's grandmother somewhere in the family lore, somewhere in that culture, somebody was making liver or heart. I mean, in, in my family, it's liver, heart, kidneys, brain, 
Like all of these foods were foods that were prepared as part of a regular diet. And yet we've lost that. We've absolutely lost it. And it's funny too, because, you know, when we talk about ancestral eating, a lot of times we're thinking paleolithic, right? We're thinking way back in the day, but, but when you're talking about organ meats, you're talking like just, no, just last generation, you know, like our parents or our grandparents. It's like, it's not that long ago, everyone was eating it. So the question then becomes, well, what happened? And from my research, I've found a few answers. Uh, One, one being that, um, that some, like, so for some of us, our parents were forced to eat them. So then when they had kids, they didn't want to force them to eat them. So that you had that kind of psychology going on. But but the most consistent language that I continue to read about regarding organ meats and their history is really around economics. That basically uh, at one point, organ meats and potentially even, well, I think that's changing now, but but potentially up to this point, they, they're seen as poor people's food. They're, they're, they're seen as like food that is not as of as much value money wise than let's say a, a different cut, a muscle meat cut, you know, ribeye yeah. or anything like that. And so particularly after World War II, you had people that um, now were making more money because when the men went away, the women started working. When they came back, the women didn't stop working. So now you had households that had double the income to a degree. I mean, I know women were not paid as what they should have been paid, but, but either way they had more money. And so they saw it as like, well, we can afford these higher price cuts. Let's eat them. And so it's really been a a game of economics for organ meats. So then as less people bought them, they were not as available. Now we're at a place because we don't, when we go to a butcher um, shop, we don't see them. So now we've lost the acclimation of just visually seeing them we've lost the acclimation of cooking them and just the familiarity of cooking them regularly um and then for some people they don't even know where to source them anymore so of course they've kind of we've fallen out of the familiar zone so now we're in the unfamiliar so we really that's very much part of my mission is i'm i'm really trying to get us back on track um our health back on track by focusing on nose to tail i i really wholeheartedly believe that one of our issues of many, we have lots of issues in the world, but but one of them is that we are not eating nose to tail. We're only focusing on muscle meat and we're missing out on these nutrients over 93% of America. And I have to think that it's a similar number around the world are nutrient deficient, but I can speak in the U S we're not calorie deficient. So it has nothing to do with that. We're not getting enough food. It has to do with with the food we're eating. So we're getting we're, we're making poor choices, particularly here in the U S. Um, and, and so I believe if we start getting those nutrients from organ meats, if we start feeling better in our body, then we start treating others better. Cause we really do. We're such creatures of habit that we treat people how we feel. That's yeah. really, it, 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 you can boil so many things down to the simplicity. That doesn't mean it's easy. I'm more just saying it, you can boil it down to very simple concepts. And I really do believe we're, we're so in turn, we're, we're so uh, focused. We're so egotistical that we treat people how we feel. That's basically what I found. So if I can get you feeling better in your body, I believe that you'll treat other people better. And now we have the starts of a better world. Yeah, no, that's that's a lot of really great points there. And I, and I think that, you know, going back to the organ meats and how important they are to human health and how we lost track of them, it's it's so interesting. You know, my husband tells stories about how when he was in university, they were on a very tight budget, him and his friends, and they would go buy liver. 
and make. Yeah. Now they did call the dish scuzzerol, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think it was any kind of a culinary feat because I think anything that was in that fridge that wasn't running away on its own was thrown into the pot with the liver. But it was one way for them to make ends meet was to eat liver. You know, unbeknownst to them, they were actually doing themselves a favor. Yeah. But, you know, it's also just become really hard to source organ meats, right? As fewer people buy them, certainly if you go to a grocery store, I mean, I'm privileged enough to be able to buy my meat from a farmer and, you know, generally not buy from from your corner grocery store, because unfortunately, that part of our food system has become so depleted and damaged over the years. But you cannot walk into a store in most places and access. I mean, you might find liver, maybe, but beyond that, it's you might find marrow bones if you're lucky. But beyond that, I think it's very hard to find organs. It's even hard to get a chicken that still has the organs in it. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's um, it's funny. It's both harder and easier. So it's harder in, in your everyday. If you're used to just going to your local grocery store, yes, it's harder. But if you're someone who's used to buying your food online, it's actually easier because now we have such a bigger reach. I mean, there's so many online purveyors that are selling organ meats. You just have to find them. U.S. Wellness Meats is one of them. Um, we have a bunch of farms here. I'm in or Portland, Oregon, and there's a bunch of farms here that I can access at farmer's markets or online. But you're right. Your, your regular kind of Whole Foods or your regular market that you're going to is, is not going to always have organs. Um, and if it does, it might have very specific animals like chicken livers, maybe, and they might be in the freezer, you know, it's just, it, it's a crapshoot. You never know what they're going to have. Now, what is interesting though, is that most, most ethnic uh, markets mm -hmm. sell the organs. So like here in the U S um, Mexican markets, they sell almost everything. You can find the tongue, you can find the stomach lining, which is called tripe. And yeah. what's fascinating about that is um, I was just talking to someone the other day, uh, um, which we're going to be sharing. Uh, we're, we're doing a program right now for the month of January where we're, we're promoting organ meat. So we're calling it Organuary, where you take over the nice. month of January and we're, we're challenging people to eat organs once a week. And so I interviewed this person who really does walk her talk. She, they make organs once a week. She's been doing it for 10 years. And she was telling me about tripe and how um, basically when you go to buy it in a grocery store, it's bright white. And the reason is it's because they bleach it to clean it. Mm -hmm. They literally soak it in bleach. And so when she would first buy it, she would have to go to a Mexican market and she would have to really work it to help get some of that bleach smell out um, and really clean it kind of as purely as she could to get out those chemicals. But when she started to buy it from her local farmer, which didn't always happen, but when she did, the the lesson of why they bleach it was <laughs> very evident. So oh, basically- yeah. He said that it was covered in grass. It was kind of greenish. And then once you cleaned the green, it was then brown. But she had to clean it so much because everything that cow ate was in there. So like there would sometimes be sand. She yeah. said if the cow ate nails, she would find nails in it, mm -hmm. things like that. So you start to kind of appreciate, well, you both are, you it's it's kind of like a love-hate thing, right? Because sometimes the way that, that conventional industry does something 
it's like, oh, they're, they're using chemicals that you wouldn't want in your body. But then at the same time, you sometimes learn why. You're like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, there's probably a reason of why they did this. And then maybe they are taking a shortcut now. But mm-hmm. originally, the, the original reason they had to clean it this way is because of how dirty it was. Yeah, well, my grandmother used to make tripe. And I have to say, I'm not a fan. Interesting. Because of the, the, the labor or the taste? Well, I wasn't a fan of the whole, I didn't like the texture. I didn't mm. love the taste. Um, but I know that when she made tripe, it was a job and a half because yeah. she wasn't buying bleach tripe, you know? <laughs> right. So, nice. and not because she didn't want to, but because it wasn't available to her. And, you know, she would go to the butcher shop and whatever butcher shop in Montreal. I actually remember as a little kid going with her and, you know, I'm old enough that, when I was really small, they were still killing the chickens when you bought the chickens in certain That's places. My, my mom tells me about that as well in Coney Island. That's what they were doing too. Yeah, but she, when she would buy tripe, like it, it, it was a real job and a half to prepare it. And so in today's world, it may not be practical to do that, but at the same time, you know, there are, we are starting to see some interesting products hit the market because actually there's a couple of things I want to talk about before I get there. Like one of the things I wanted to ask you is your point of view on liver because liver is one of those organs, number one, from a texture, from a taste, people love it, they hate it, one or the other. But I think there's a lot of myths around liver. Um, And I even know medical doctors who say, oh my God, I would never eat liver. All the toxins of the body sit in the liver. And I think that's one of the big myths about liver. And I don't know if you've kind of delved into this yourself and you have a point of view here because I know, I know why I eat liver, but I'm interested to hear from you. Yeah, I definitely dived into it. Um, so, and it's funny, you know, perspective really is wide, wide open. Um, everyone shares, it seems a different perspective. So there's, there's, I'll share what I've heard. And then I'll share with my opinion. So, so I have heard that from some people that vitamin A toxicity, which is what some people are talking about when they talk about liver, is a real thing um, that you have to be concerned about. Then I've heard from another camp that says, well, actually, when the vitamin A is coming from a whole food and not a mm-hmm. synthetic source, that you can't, your body will regulate it, that you can't get vitamin A toxicity. So I've heard both sides. But when I think about an animal, the, the whole animal, let's just say we're, we're a tribe and we just killed, uh, we'll just say a cow, even though back in the day it was probably a different animal, but let's just say we killed a cow. There's only one liver in that cow. So as a tribe of, let's just say 15, mm-hmm. 25 people, we are sharing that one liver. And in most cases, we're giving it to the people that need it the most, the sick, the pregnant, the trying to get pregnant, the kids, you know, we're, we're sharing it with most of them. So we're only getting, you know, a little bit, I mean, maybe an ounce or two, you know, we're not getting, you know, four ounces a day, you know? So I think, I think therein lies the middle ground somewhere that whether vitamin A toxicity is real or not, I do think that you, to get it, you have to eat a lot. Yeah, you, you do. I mean, you, to get vitamin A toxicity from liver, you got. I, I think the people, the people who got vitamin A toxicity from liver were Arctic explorers who ate the livers of their dogs and a lot of it, and with nothing else to balance it out. Right. It's a little bit like protein poisoning, right? Totally. Somebody, a friend of mine's husband, you know, they just had to call nine one one on New Year's Eve because 
he passed out and got really sick. And their friend was like, oh, it's because we had too much protein tonight. He, he got protein poisoning. And I'm like, he went into protein shock. I'm like, yeah, no, actually, that's not a thing. I mean, you could get protein poisoning if you only ate protein, no fat, no carbs, no nothing. And for a really long time, that yeah. whole rabbit, what's it called? Rabbit, rabbit syndrome or something. Right. But but people, you know, they kind of fabricate these they take a little nugget of something and extrapolate it into a much bigger thing. So, you know, as it turns out, it's probably the fact that they had oysters and burrata and tenderloin with the cream sauce. Oh, and the white clam chowder and what, oh yeah, about a bottle of wine each. And like, I mean, you know, it just goes on from there. And so I'm sure his body, when it did go into shock, (laughs) it was not protein shock. It was probably, Oh my God, how many calories can I possibly consume here in one city? Right. And, 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 or the mixture of those things, right? I mean, exactly. it's impossible to really assess the toxic soup that we all embody, you know, sure. that we're processing every day, all these different um, pieces of whether it's food or, or toxins in our environment, but and, and no one really knows. Well, what happens when you mix them all together? <laughs> you know, no one, no one's actually studied that. You know, they only isolate things. So yeah, yeah, and so, in massive quantities. But going back to the yeah. liver, I think one of the phalli- one of the things people worry about is because the liver. We talk about how the liver works to detoxify toxins, and people worry they somehow feel like it. They all just sit in the liver. Yeah, so think, now you're eating all these toxins, and the liver doesn't store. No, no. And it, well, in an uh, in an unhealthy person or animal, right. yes. But that's really has to do with uh, excretion and, and and are the elimination pathways opening and and Correct. working properly. But yeah, a lot of people think to your point, and I love how you did that visual. A lot of people think that uh, the organs are like a sponge. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they're not absorbing things and holding them. They're really more of a filter. And what they're ultimately doing is they're taking, uh, they're converting the processing and converting potentially toxic byproducts into more water soluble forms so that it can then be excreted. So yeah. it's a filter that's capturing, it's, it's processing, it's re it's converting to then get it into the, your elimination pathways, whether it's your urine, your poop, your, your sweat, and so that's why, it, yeah, if you're someone that has a toxic overload that you're not pooping daily, you don't sweat very much, you know, or you're not, your pee is the wrong color or anything like that. Yeah. Then you're someone that I would just be in general, focus on your elimination pathways first, then focus on, you know, are you absorbing these foods? Cause I used to tell people all the time as I say, look, I could have the best food in the world, but if you're not absorbing it, Mm-hmm. and eliminating the things you need to eliminate, then there's no point. You you can't only focus on one part of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know? absolutely. I love that. And, you know, going back to the organs again, I think, you know, we were talking about this earlier. It's this whole idea of, you know, well, what is it about organs that makes them so nutrient dense, right? So right. we know that for liver, for example, you get a lot of people in the carnivore community will refer to liver as nature's multivitamin because it it holds so many vitamins and minerals and to your point in in proper ratio in balance yes. and in ways that prevents 
the over dominance, if you will, of one thing over another. I mean, obviously someone with hemochromatosis, probably, you know, like a disease that forces them that where their body doesn't process and let go of, of iron, for example, and that's a, that's a genetic condition. It doesn't happen that often. That person probably shouldn't eat a whole lot of liver, if any, but with the exception of those people, it's it's a way of accessing very, very nutrient-dense food in its whole form, which you were talking about earlier. But I think the other interesting thing about organs, which is something that I talk a lot about in, you know, in the communities I speak to or whenever I'm at a conference speaking, is there's these these peptides, these little protein chains that occur in organs called bioregulator peptides. And they actually have the power to help to regenerate that same organ when we consume those peptides. So, you know, it's kind of digging under the surface of that whole traditional approach to somebody has a heart condition, we feed them heart. So heart has a lot of CoQ10 in it as a meat, but what else is in that heart that's going to help the, the person who's eating it? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that. I have this tenants of organ meat and, and like supports like, you know, that organs provide organ specific nutrients um, is one of them. And I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And I was actually the person I was referring to earlier who made the tripe and everything. Um, she was going from a, a, a you know, a sad diet, a standard American diet and 10 years ago to then starting to incorporate organs. And she was sharing that, you know, be, prior to eating organs, and eating that standard American diet, she was having lots of like ailments, you know, she mm -hmm. would bump herself on a, on a chair and get big bruises. She would, she would um, hurt herself regularly. She had brain fog. She had all these different the lack of energy, didn't sleep very well, had all these, these chronic illnesses that a lot of us have, but think are normal because we've been with them so long. Right. Yeah. And that's really, really key is that we have to understand that if you are not thriving, if you're not waking up every day, feeling energized, then something's off. That's not a norm. Your yeah. norm should not be like slow up, getting up slowly and barely, you know, aching and not, and not eliminating and not feeling good throughout the day. You really, our human body, we, I really believe we have to come from this place of just knowing our human body is fantastic. It's, it's, it's truly stupendous. It is amazing. Mm -hmm. So we have to come from that place of like, if, if, if our body's amazing, we should be feeling amazing. If we're not feeling amazing, then we're not serving our natural body's abilities. So uh, that's why I look at organ meats. I'm like, okay, uh, mother nature's vitamin, undeniable. You can compare organ meats to any other food on the planet and it will tick off everything. Yeah. It, and it won't just be like a little bit higher, you know, in iron or, or magnesium or whatever you're measuring. It will be like seven times, 12 yeah. times, you know, it's, it's unparalleled and yet we're not utilizing. So we talk a lot about, um, food waste. We talk a lot about, you know, carbon neutral. Uh, we talk a lot about, you know, oh, I want my dollar to go stretch as far as it will go. Mm -hmm. But yet if you're not eating organ meats, you're not walking that talk because yeah. you have same quality, hundred percent grass fed cow. Okay. And if you're only eating the ribeye from that cow, which is, you know, $24 a pound, if not sometimes if not more. more. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you're only eating that, then you're missing out on these other 
cuts of that same animal, same quality fed animal that are a lot of times cheaper and even more nutritious. Like, and, and you're completely missing out on that. And so to me, that means you're spending your money unwisely. You're not being efficient. You're not being economical because the, because a lot of times those organs uh, talk about, you know, you want to support your small farmer. A lot of times the farmer doesn't even get the organs because they don't see any value in it. If there's no one buying the organs, then they lose money on that. So the only, uh, and then uh, there, there's lots of other things as well. Like uh, a lot of farmers, the the meat processors don't even have it built into their HACCP plan that they can give the organs. So like, for example, in the U.S., you, you cannot find brain unless you're going to a farmer and you have a one-on-one relationship with them and they're doing giving it to you under the table. But yeah. you cannot go to a store and buy brain. It's it's literally illegal. Yeah. And is that because of what is it, Jacob Crochfeld or disease, the prion disease? The, 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 that the, whole the, mad, uh, cow. mad cow. Yeah. yeah. It, well, it stems from that. But I hear, I mean, I've I've been hearing mixed things. I mean, not to feed in conspiracies, but I've been hearing that certain organs are off the market. Do, from the USDA because they have relationships with the uh, pharmaceutical companies and the pharmaceutical companies get those because they're you know a lot of a lot of supplements of pharmaceutical companies are pulling isolating pieces from organs and they're putting them in their products. That, mm. I mean that is you know if you get anything from Standard Process for example a lot of their products are from organ meats. Sure. Well, the, the, des- the desiccated organs, I mean, it takes us back to the bioregulators, right? I mean, it's a desiccated thyroid supplement is going to have thyroid bioregulator in exactly. it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Which is, it's you. which, and it can actually in someone who, you know, is at the beginning of a thyroid that's kind of starting to shut down. If you've addressed whether it's the autoimmune issues or the diet or the inflammation that's driving that degeneration and you can shut that down. And now you start to feed the thyroid that that whole desiccated thyroid or maybe the thyroid bioregulator. We sometimes see people who start to see a reduction in the use of the medications. And on occasion, if they weren't too far gone to begin with, they may res- they may not need medication at some point. Right. Which is right. just feeding the like supports like, right? You're eating, you're, yeah. you're eating, the thyroid in your in your thyroid thyroid is improving because of it. Um, yeah, it's it's. I I so believe that we are missing these things like brain. Mm-hmm. For example, I mean, is it, it you know? Of course, it's a, it's probably impossible for me to connect the dots here, but I can't help but think about this. That well, look at how high um, you know Alzheimer's is now. Look at how the degeneration of the brain, and yet we're also not eating brain as much anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, but we're I not mean, eating I, brain at all at anymore, all, right? actually. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, it, it just makes me wonder, like, are, are we suffering because of this, because of these regulations or these 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 choices, these modern choices? And that's ultimately what I'm trying to do, because you can find brain from like New Zealand, for example, you can get it as a supplement. And so what I'm trying to do is is really take take these modern techniques of freeze drying the organs and and actually re, like support people in reapplying them to food. Mm-hmm. So really what the product that that you originally um we found each other with was is pluck and so that's yeah. the organ based seasoning that I created and I took freeze dried powdered organs the same organs you're finding in the supplements in the capsules um I took uh liver, heart, kidney, spleen and pancreas 
and I added them to organic spices and herbs and I turned it into something that you can literally sprinkle on anything. Yeah. So yeah. I'm solving multiple hurdles here. So we discussed a couple of them already. We discussed knowing how to cook them. Now mm-hmm. you don't need to know how to cook them. Just sprinkle it on your food. It could be to-go food. It could be food you made at home. It doesn't matter. Just sprinkle it on like salt and pepper. Now you don't need to know how to cook organs because yeah. you're, you're getting the nutrients. Um, I, I, we also talked about sourcing. How do I find organs? Well, I already sourced it for you. I'm getting it from 100% grass or cows from New Zealand. Same same sourcing as the the big comp, uh, supplement companies. And and I've, I'm making sure that you're getting them. I'm getting you five organs, not just liver. I'm getting you as many as I can in this first run. I hope to eventually have other um, products that utilize the brain, the other parts of the animal that I'm not already yeah. using. Like the it's thymus not, would I, be great. Kidney absolutely. would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have kidney right oh, now. Oh, you have kidney. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but absolutely. I want to. I want to do testicles. I want to do ovaries. I want to. I want to get other parts of the animal that we're not getting. Um, but so, and then the last one that I, that I believe I solved is that a lot of people have this idea that organs are going to taste icky. And I find that so fascinating because if I put, if I basically presented to you, like, so the people that are saying that they find organs icky, I always ask, well, have you actually tried them? And, and it's surprising that more times than not people say, oh no, I've never tried them. I'm like, yeah. but yet you think they're icky and you've never eaten them. If I put a dessert in front of you that you've never tried, would you say, oh, no, I don't want to try that? You would probably go, oh, no, that looks interesting. Let me try it. So it's an absolute psychology going on yeah. here. It has nothing to do with the literal taste. It's feeding the psychology and the unfamiliarity. So I'm just trying to bust through that and say, look, let's make health as easy and delicious as possible because as humans, I know, I know this about us that if if it's easy mm-hmm. and it's delicious, you'll do it. Yeah, and that's really all I want. I want to help you get organs and and nose to tail eating into your diet. I know that the way you're going to do it is if it's delicious and if it's easy. And so that's really my mission is I'm just trying to create products that utilize these nutrient dense foods, but in a but in a just a, a an easy an easy application, and of course, a delicious one. Yeah, and that you don't really have to think about, right? I mean, one yeah. of the interesting, another interesting product that's at the butchers, at some of these, you know, more holistic butchers, I almost want to call them, right? Because they're not, they're good, not just for, they're good for us, they're good for the planet, they're good for the animals, like they kind of cover the whole gamut of what they're better for. But one of the products that's really gotten popular over the last number of years is the ground beef that they'll mix with ground organs. And, but even then, you know, you're going to have a a meat that has, that tastes, has an earthier taste to it. But what I find is what's great about your products, the spice mixes is that now you can, you can supplement, you can even add more organs to your organs in a way that helps them to taste good. Yeah. Um, with the spice blends. And um, and I and I just love that you can put that spice blend on a ribeye steak or on a ten, like whatever cut of meat you like and start to get into that whole direction of eating whole animal instead of just a muscle. Yeah, I, I love well, it's a very versatile and I'm I feel very fortunate that it is because of course when I designed it I I didn't try every food in the world on it you know what I mean? sure. but over the years now 
um, between customers and my own um, just longevity with it, we're discovering that it works kind of with everything. We, we joke that it doesn't work with ice cream. That's the only thing. But then someone yes. said, well, actually, I tried it on ice cream and it tastes really good. It, it just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really like whatever your flavor profile is. It, it works if that's your, if you like savory, then it works. Yeah. Um, and so I've been really kind of blessed with learning that. Um, but we actually did put out, so we have uh, four products right now. Three of them have flavors. Uh, meaning that they have spices and herbs to flavor them. But then one of them that we put out is called Pluck Pure, and that is 100% organ meat. So there's no salt, there's no spices, and there's no herbs. And we came out with that one because I recognize that there are people out there that really just want the 100% nutrition, that they don't care Mm -hmm. as much about the taste. They're already taking capsules and they're opening them up on their food, things like that. So I I thought, well, let's let's make this for them, um, and and let's make it so that it's a little bit more versatile, so that you it doesn't like basically you add it to something that already has flavor, like a smoothie in the morning. Um, you know, ground beef. You can mix it into the ground beef, just like the the grinds that you're talking about. This is just yeah. another way to do it. Now you're getting five organs instead of just maybe the one to three that those companies are using. Um, sure. So so it's just a lot of more versatile. You can add it to a curry. You can add it to a sauce. I just tell people you add it to something that already has flavor versus the other three. You can provide flavor with. Yeah, they do the work. They do yeah, the they do the cooking work because. You know, as we were talking about earlier, and, you know, we're kind of going backwards in this episode because I a little (laughs) bit want to talk about, you know, how you got here. Like you didn't start out as a, I want to grow up and feed people organs kind of guy. Like you, you started, you started as a chef, right. And a celebrity chef at that. So at what point in your, in your chef's journey, did you figure out that this is a direction you wanted to go in? Like, what was it? What was that? Did you have an aha moment or was it just like a slow process? Like, how did you go from feeding the likes of I don't know who you who your celebrity list were, but, you know, the likes of those guys to making little packets of spice for the rest of us? (laughs) Yeah, no, it it definitely has been a journey. Uh, It's one, of course, when you look back, you can connect all the dots, but it it was a gradual journey. There was no there was no kind of like light switch necessarily a uh, light switch moment i have always been interested in looking at kind of adding uh, like looking at food and psychology i've always been fascinated by that um i and i really i found that a, a dominant theme in my career has been like well, what really works because we can talk till we're blue in the face about trends or about what in theory should work mm-hmm. but what are people actually doing on a regular basis and sustaining? Yeah. That to me is what works because I'm always telling people like, like, yeah, if it, if like I was using the easy and delicious uh, example earlier, like, so you might have, uh, well, actually at the biohacking conference, people kept coming up to me saying, oh, you know, I've had those uh, liver, um, what are they called? Uh, liver crisp or something. Oh, like the liver chips. Yeah. yeah, I've had those. So they would come up to me and they said, I really like the idea of it, but I just didn't like the taste. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped buying. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Because if it's if it's easy, which that is, liver crisps are easy, but if it's not delicious, it's it's just a trend. It's just something you just try. It's, right. it's not something you're going to sustain. And that's, I really, 
I'm only interested in what's sustainable. Mm-hmm. That's really it as a chef. I'm only interested in that. And that, and so my sustainability uh, look at things or that lens has gravitated towards comfort foods. Because if you look at the history of humans, <laughs> where do we go food-wise? We go to comfort foods. Yeah. I mean, COVID, geez, like look at what happened when, when emotions ran high. Where did everyone go? I mean, alcohol sales increased, oh. drug use um baking increase you know sugar sourdough uh, sourdough bread yeah (laughs) it's like we gravitated towards all those comfort foods and so it's like okay so that tells me that really health is achieved when i can hit the easy spot you know make it easy when i can make it delicious but i can also make sure that it truly is giving back to you that it's something that really is naturally nutrient dense and uh, and that's really where how I suddenly came to organ meats because I didn't re- I didn't grow up eating organ meats. Um, I was very picky eater. Very, very I mean I didn't even eat a salad growing up. I hated like I would have a carrot, but I wouldn't eat a salad. I didn't have anything with dressing. I was very very picky. Oh wow! I didn't ha- you really were picky. Okay. Oh, I didn't have. I mean I grew up in California, which if anyone doesn't know, California has got amazing Mexican food. It's mm-hmm. it's. Uh, amazing place to get Mexican food. And so we would go to Mexican restaurants growing up and I would have a hamburger and I, I was that picky. I just, I, I wouldn't eat, um, most foods unless they were very specific. And so I really didn't expand my palate until I was in culinary school. So I was in my thirties and I, and I was entering culinary school and I said, okay, I'm making a deal with myself. Everything I'm presented, I'm going to eat. Good for you. Even if it's hard. And I did. And and since then, I'm way more adventurous. Um, and it was that process of going to culinary school in my 30s that really started to align that sensibility of like, hey, how I know I'm interested in in making comfort foods healthy, but how do we do that? Like how mm-hmm. how do I really make them healthy? Because there's so many there's so much snake oil in the world. There's so many products out there that people are saying like, oh, well, well, this is, this is really like, I, I always use like R, RX bars for, as an example, or anything like that. These kind of like bars that were told are so much healthier than candy bars and they're, they're protein rich and all this stuff. And then you, you look at the ingredients and you're just like, this is crap. Like this is, this is really just an expensive candy bar. That's really mostly what it is. Hey guys, guess what? We have another sponsor to thank, but this sponsor is possibly just as obsessed about longevity as you and I are. We are all about longevity on this podcast, right? Well, this sponsor is about finding the most innovative, incredible longevity compounds, supplements, and strategies that you can possibly imagine. And as a matter of fact, they market my most favorite longevity strategy and supplement, which are bioregulator peptides. The name of the company is Profound Health. Profound-health.com is their website. There, You can use discount code longevity15 off your first order. But not only do they have bioregulator peptides, which you know that I talk about all the time. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're going to have to go back and listen to episodes 42, 46, or 47 of this podcast you're going to be let in on a huge longevity secret. But on top of that, they also have amazing supplements all devoted to longevity and healthy aging. So definitely check out profound-health.com and make sure to use discount code longevity15 on your first order. And now let's get back to the show. 
I think RX actually is better than most because it's it's such a short list of ingredients. I think the Cliff Bars are the ones that fell off the cliff at some point. Oh no, you're right. There's definitely worse. I I'm sorry. I, I mentioned yeah. I use I use RX bars as an example, but the example. Well, the thing I with the RX the- is it's very sweet because it's because dates is the is the is the meat of it, if you will. Like there's egg whites in it, and then there's going to be dates, which are very sweet. So for like if you're legit out for like walking the Trans-Canada Trail or the Northwest Trail or whatever it is. the North Is it the Northwest Pacific Trail, that trail oh, that yeah, Drew Barrymore yeah. walked in that movie? Oh, yeah, Reese Witherspoon, Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon, yeah. that's it. If you're legit doing that level of physical activity, it, you might be warranted to eat something like an RX bar that's very high in carbs, very high in sugar, like very rich kind of things, but for most of us, and you're eating your RX bar as a snack. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> like, yeah. Guess what? <laughs> well, and I so I use them as an example of how um, I, I actually usually use them as an example of of how to read labels because uh, yeah. a lot of times when we are grocery shopping, we we look at what's on the front of the label and we think, oh, it says three ingredients. So I sh- I'm going to get that. And then in RX bars is a perfect example of actually, if you turn it around, they, they have ingredients that are not listed yes. on the front. Yes. You know, that that's how I use that as yeah. an example. No, but- and that's a great, and honestly, that's a great example, right? Because I think that it's, you're referring to this whole idea of greenwashing. Oh, well, it's yes. non-GMO, it's organic, it's natural, whatever the heck that yes. means anymore. And then it still sounds like a science experiment on the label. On the like label, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that is my point is, is that, we, 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 though that's the snake oil that's out there. It's this perception that these foods are so healthy and it's like, eh, and they're really not. And, 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 and what we were talking about before the podcast uh, even started recording was that, that really the only way to truly get healthy is to make your own food, to be in oh, control yeah. of the ingredients that, that you're using. And I'm always telling people, you know, when you go grocery shopping, buy things things that are ingredients versus yes. things that have ingredients smart you know i love you know, that really and and i i use the other term of don't fall asleep at the cart and that goes back to the rx bars or any of those bars is that you have to remember on that front of the packaging that is no different than a billboard that is just that's pure marketing it's them trying to pull you into the product and there's lots of marketing psychology around why there things are certain colors, why certain words are are focused on. I mean, like for example, with eggs and chickens, they they'll say hormone free. Well, but ch- chickens aren't given hormones, like ever. <laughs> I know, but they're hormone free. <laughs> but they're hormone free. That's that's like someone gave a great example of saying, but that's like saying an M M&M and M is. Oh no, what was it? Oh, it's such a good example. I wish it, it was like saying orange juice has uh, no gluten. Has, yeah, no <laughs> gluten or something. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> it's really like there's so many products like that where they're yeah. they're clearly just riding trends and, and they're just they're they're just trying to get it's a money grab. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. so I, I just I am always cautioning people that, well, I, I should go back. So that's ultimately what drives me is I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that kind of company. I'm not that type of person. I'm not that type of chef. I'm even when I used to cook privately for clients, I'd always tell them they would come to me originally. I remember my first client was this news reporter in LA and uh, her sister was running her, 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 her um, household, I guess. So she was the one I was talking with and, and she called me and said, Oh, we're looking for someone that's going to count calories and, and, and do low fat this and that. And I was like, 
And I had no, I had just gotten out of culinary school. I had nothing. I had no money. I had no job. Well, actually I had a job perspective that was going to pay me $9 an hour at some, some uh, detox center. I mean, oh, I was in my thirties yeah. and I was about to get paid $9. I was so hard, like just sad. I was just, I yeah. want, I was crying and I got this call and I still was like, you know what? I'm not your chef. And, and she's like, well, why? I said, well, because I don't believe that what you're, you're at, I believe what you're, what you want is for her to be healthy, but what you're telling me is not healthy in my judgment. And, I, and she said, well, how would you do it? And I said, well, I would, I would not calorie count. I would focus on the ingredients and I would focus on real fat and not being afraid of fat, but actually choosing good fats. And, and I would make, uh, I would have no, I would have, I would make everything from scratch. So I'm never giving her anything with any like additives or, or flavorings or shelf stabilizers or anything like that. And I would choose really clean animals that have been, you know, humanely treated and fed properly. And so I just talked to her like that. And after I finished my spiel, she said, okay, we'll do what you, what you nice. just said. Nice. Good <laughs> and for she her. was my client for two years and it was incredible. And, 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 um, and help me get out of, you know, help me enter this world of being a private chef and do it on my terms. And it was just, yeah, it was beautiful. But that's how I came to the table is I just didn't buy the, I always would talk to people about there's this illusion of health. There's this idea that you think what you're doing is healthy, but is it really? And we can continue to dive into that more and more as, as individuals, because I mean, even now, a lot of times I'll talk to people, I'll say, okay, well, what state? What emotional state are you in when you're eating? Yeah. So we could talk about the ingredients. We could talk about the sourcing. We could talk about that stuff till we're blue in, blue in the face, but there's still deeper places you can go. Mm-hmm. And energy, the energy you're in when you're cooking the food, the energy you're in when you're eating the food, the intention. Do you sit? I mean, I, I was not raised religious at all, but I'll tell you now, what, before I eat, I always do a prayer. Yeah. And it's purely just to get myself in a relaxed it's to honor the food that I'm eating, the process of how it got there, honor myself um, for for choosing these foods. But like just that act of slowing down cannot be discredited. So there's always levels of health that you can dive into. I just... I just find that most people are staying on the periphery zones Mm -hmm. and they're they're succumbing to trends. And trends to me are not healthy. Yeah. No, I I, I so agree. And I love that the 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 pause before a meal. And you know, you don't have to be religious. It doesn't have to be a prayer. It can be taking a breath. It could be just coming, like you know, coming into the moment, coming into presence, leaving all the stuff behind right now, and just focusing your intention to your point, calming your nervous system down, right? Because yeah, we absolutely. know that if we're in a sympathetic state, our digestion is shut down, and we can't absorb the food. We can't process it properly, which is, which is just really important. But you just brought something up that I think is, is a big question that people always ask. And, and I love talking to chefs about this. Not that I get to talk to chefs often, (laughs) but because chefs, you know, at the end of the day, you go to a restaurant, a chef has a lot of different agendas. Of course, he needs to make food that people are going to want to pay for. That's job one, because otherwise the restaurant doesn't exist. But then he's got a bottom line to feed. And I think that that's when things really start to go sideways. And fats and cooking oils is where my impression, I mean, there's obviously all the chemicals in the so- in sauces or whatnot that, that are there. 
But I think that fats and cooking oils is one of those places where things go so sideways in any aspect of the food industry, whether it's food that's packaged or in a restaurant, because what are they looking for? They're looking for a fat to cook in that's that's cheap Cheap. and that's not going to flame or burn. I mean, it might burn, but it's not going to burn in the, in a light the restaurant on fire kind of way. And so maybe do you want to talk a little bit about what your, your perspective is on what are the best fats to cook with? And this whole idea of extra virgin olive oil, should we heat it? Should we not heat it? It has a, you know, smoke points. Do you, I'm sure you've got a perspective on that because that's what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, no, I absolutely do. I, I have to tell a little story. So I was hired once, uh, and this this answers the question very much so. But but I was hired once by this this group that were wanting to open a restaurant, and I was hired to do the menu. And the 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 process for us to go down this path started with, well, what's the benchmark? So they drove me around all over LA and Southern California to all the restaurants that they that had certain items that they wanted to have on their menu. And they believe these were the best. Yeah. Oh, and so we either had to get it to be as good as this or better. Mm-hmm. And and I love that process, but they, I remember they took me to this one place. It was like a Thai restaurant that had um, these roasted potatoes that they just thought were fantastic. And we walked, I remember the door opened up and I immediately was hit with the smell of the fried oil. And I was like, I knew right away. I'm like, like, oh, this is rancid. This is bad. The oil's burned. You can smell it in the air and you can smell it's bitter, which means it's rancid. And I was like, I just knew right away that any food coming from this kitchen was not going to be good. And um, I didn't tell them that though. And then we sat down and we, and they, they got the food and I went to taste it and I was hundred percent correct. The, the, the food tasted bad because of the oil. And I told them, I said, this is your benchmark. I said, no problem. I can top this easily. <laughs> I was like, great. This is your this benchmark. This is the easiest job ever. Yeah, it'd be perfect. <laughs> and they're like, well, what do you mean this isn't good? And I was like, well, and I explained to them the smell, the taste and, and how you could just, I knew right away. And they said, I, we, we don't taste it. I just taste good. I said, okay, well, let me cook for you for two weeks, which I then helped to recalibrate their palate. Yes. So, and once I, they're eating food, that's more... Uh, natural, it's healthier for them. It changes the flavors that you actually can taste and anyone can do this. And we can actually, right after I tell this, we can go into how they can do this. But, yeah. um, but basically after two weeks of eating the way I cooked for them, they went back to the restaurant and they told me, yeah, we can't eat there ever again. Yeah. Yeah. Taste, um... taste how bad it was. And that's the truth to your point. That's the truth with all restaurants. Every restaurant's got a bottom line. Um, unless they're really, really high end restaurant, you know, where they're making everything from scratch, but you're paying for that. I mean, we're talking, that's going to be a $200 meal probably, Mm -hmm. but everything else is minding their P's and Q's somewhere. They're, 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 they're just being mindful of their cost of ingredients and you'd be surprised. Um, so when I used to have a, I used to have a meal delivery service in LA and I would go to what's called this place called restaurant depot and they have them all over the world. Um, and I know they have them in Canada too. They might just be called something different, but it's, it's basically a a place where restaurants go to buy their food and their materials. And I was going there to buy to go boxes. That's mostly Mm -hmm. what I got there. Um, I would see these carts that would already be filled with product because they would they would 
fulfill orders for their clients and then have them with the client's name on them. So I would see these carts just packed full of stuff and I would see all the restaurants around LA and I'm like, Oh my God, I had no idea they were using craft sauces or whatever. Oh. Cause this restaurant Depot has very generic stuff. I mean, it's very like, you know, best, best, I, I don't know, like craft, all these uh, best foods, like all these, these companies that you recognize as very conventional and bulk. Yeah. And they were buying like, you know, their dressings already pre-made. They were buying um, sauces already pre-done. And these were restaurants that I thought were making it from scratch. Yeah, They were really, they weren't that cheap, these places. I was like, what? And yeah. so it really just told me like, wow. So they're, they're, they're cutting their bottom line. They're trying to make a profit. And that's why they're doing this. Because the other, so there's the cost of the ingredients. That's one thing. Another thing a lot of people don't know about when you, when you look at the hierarchy of a, a restaurant is you have, you know, the owner, you have someone that manages the restaurant, then you have potentially a chef. Not all restaurants have a chef. They have someone who helps design the, the, uh, the menu and that might be the chef, but they're not the person cooking every day. Mm -hmm. That's a cook. Mm -hmm. So there's different labels for these people. Well, those labels come with a different dollar point. So a chef is going to be a higher cost, you know, hourly cost than a cook. And a lot of times what that means is that if a cook is following a recipe a lot of times, so they don't understand necessarily how to pull the food out of danger zone. So like, let I, I say danger zone, I just mean a flavor zone. So like, let's say you're making a dressing if you are making it from scratch and it goes bitter. It's just too bitter. A cook might not know how to get that, get out of that mm -hmm. naturally. A chef hopefully will know. So what a cook does is they just add sugar. Yeah. So that's why you get things that are either really salty or really sweet, right? Because those are cheap ingredients. Salt and sugar are some of the cheapest ingredients. A, a, like a cook, uh, sorry, a chef might know how to add a little salt, add a little lemon juice. Like they might be able to they finesse it out. It. But yeah, exactly. But they wouldn't do that necessarily with sugar. Mm -hmm. They might, they wouldn't necessarily default it right away to like just either more salt or more sugar, which is someone that's less trained. That's where they're going to go or someone that doesn't even really understand the recipe. So I understand why these restaurants have to do it this way. But I think ultimately what we need to know as consumers is we just need to know you can't get healthy eating out. Just mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. It, it's impossible to be healthy and eat out. It will not, you will not succeed. So go back, going back to that first question and, you know, I, the, your story of walking into the kitchen and smelling that rancid fat. I remember I was in uh, Vegas for a health conference of all things um, last month and walked into a food court and the, and friends of mine were waiting for some food and the smell of the rancid deep fried oil that hit me when I walked into this food court, I was like, I, and it was that smell that gets into your hair that you yeah. know that if you're there for more than 10 minutes, you're walking around smelling like that for the rest of the day. <laughs> it's, oh, let it's, alone if the, you eat it. Let alone if you eat yeah, it. Yeah, and, like your and, and, and your your body uses what you give it, right? So it doesn't want to, but it's going to integrate those damaged fats into cell membranes, which then aren't going to be able to function properly. And it, it just leads to a host of, of problems. But let's talk a little. I just want to... I just want to go back to that question of 
in your opinion, what are the best fats people should be cooking with? And talking a little bit about, you know, extra virgin olive oil, should we be heating it at all? Because definitely like in, in Italy, they will use olive oil to cook, maybe not at high heat, but so. Yeah. And, and, you know, once again, it's, it, it goes back to the, this illusion of health of light or, or what, well, one, one group says this, another group says that. So mm-hmm. there's, there's not tons of like data that says this is how it's supposed to be done. No one's really done tons of uh, research. Um, so for, to your point though, like a lot of these vegetable oils, even olive oil have a low smoke point. So meaning that the, if you go too high, then it will start to smoke. But so some people will say, yeah, but olive oil has a lot of antioxidants in it. And so those antioxidants help to offset the smoke point. So some people will be like, well, olive oil is okay on high heat. And you can even do searches. I did one recently to answer someone's question more more kind of uh, specifically. And I saw so many articles that were saying, no, no, olive oil is okay on high heat. Um, and I was, mm-hmm. but I then go back to, well, well what does it taste like to you? Like, I was going to tr- say, you can try it, it. The taste changes. Even it coconut changes. oil on high heat gets nasty, right? Totally. It, it, you you just got to taste it and you'll see like I pers- I mean, even if I take olive oil and I'm making a dressing and the blender, if I have the blender on t- high for too long, it heats it up mm-hmm. and it changes the flavor. And I don't like it. I So I personally do not like um, high heat with olive oil. I don't I don't use any of these vegetable oils to cook with. Um, I use, you know, f- I use animal fats. So yeah. I use uh I save my bacon grease and I use that sometimes. I, I use lard, leaf lard. Uh, sometimes when I'm baking, um, I'll use uh, tallow. I'll use duck fat, for example. If you ever make potatoes, duck fat is fantastic yep. with potatoes. It's so, so good. Um, I do use coconut oil sometimes. Um, just depends on what I'm using it with. And then I use ghee a lot. So mm-hmm. ghee is clarified butter for those that don't know. That means that the dairy has been removed as much of it as possible has been removed and you just have the dairy fat. Like, so the, the fat, um, is, is all that ghee is the butter fat. And, um, I love cooking with ghee and then ghee is, you know, 5,000 years plus they've been using it all around the world. So it's kind of a tried and true real food that you can, you just know like, yeah, this takes high heat and it takes it fine. Um, Uh, And then sometimes I even do a hybrid. So, so what I'll do is I might start with ghee, um, but then at the very end of the dish, I might add some butter because you don't want to burn the butter, but you do want the flavor of the butter. So I'll, I'll sometimes do that. Um, And same thing. You can also stabilize the coconut oil by adding ghee to it. So let's just say you're cooking coconut oil and you're, you're saying that it changes the flavor. Well, just add ghee at the top of it. So maybe do half, half coconut oil, half ghee. And just by mixing two, those two together, it will help to um, increase the smoke point for yeah. coconut oil. I've done and that so actually. Still, I've yeah, actually even done it with, I've done ghee even with um, olive oil, although I don't, yes. I'm not at high heat again. Um, one of the things we were taught in nutrition school is one of the things that can help to be protective with olive oil when you're heating it. And again, I'm not high, never high heat, let's say low, medium heat is aromatic herbs can be helpful. And, and alliums like garlic and onions um, have properties that help to protect the antioxidants in the, and like protect the olive oil from going kind of getting oxidative 
oxidated, I guess is the proper term. Yeah, and you also, whenever you add any, so like that's one thing too, is if, if you're cooking with any kind of fat or oil or anything like that, the minute you add something to the pan, it's going to cool the pan down. So yeah. that's another way of, of just kind of keeping the temperature lower and, or moderating the temperatures, just make sure you keep adding something. And, and then, you know, you always want to be playing with your temperature as you cook. You like anyone that just turns it on and then leaves it always at the same one. You're not really, you're, you're not really uh, finessing the food because food gets cooler or hotter depending on how long it's been, like how much you've added, it cools down. And then how long it's been on the burner, it's going to get hotter. So I've, I mean, all chefs, anyone that's familiar in the kitchen like that is always lowering or increasing the heat, stirring. Whenever you stir it, it cools it down as well. So there's lots of things you can do to help offset that smoke point. But I definitely, I do not cook. I don't have any of these things in my house. Like I don't have soy, soy oil. I don't oh God, have no. rice yeah. bran oil. I don't have uh, um, sunflower, safflower, canola. Corn. I don't have yeah. any of that corn, none of that. I don't do any of that stuff. And if, if there's one big trend that's happening right now is I think the, the awareness that the, how bad those oils are for people. Um, so I'm, you're seeing that more and more. Now the problem once again goes back to, okay, well, if you're not cooking for yourself, how do you avoid those oils? Because if you're buying anything at a grocery store that's pre-made, I guarantee it's using those oils because that's how they keep the, it, the price point down. Yeah. I mean, my daughter, we, we just, uh, my 10 year old, we, we've been teaching her about like the oils and how bad they are. And, and, and so she'll say, well, can I get these chips and, or crackers? Or she, you know, she's really into that kind of stuff. And, and we are like, well, if you can find it with this oil, then absolutely. And so now when we're at the grocery store, <laughs> she's like, can I have these crackers? I'm like, we'll read the back. Yeah. And then she'll read it and she'll say, oh, it has sunflower. I'm like, nope, we can't do that. And yeah. then she'll read another one. Oh, that one has safflower or that one has canola. And so she's reading. It's great because she's learning to actually look for these ingredients. But then when she finds one with like, I don't know, avocado oil or coconut oil, she's like, wait, this is, I can do this one, right? And I'm like, yeah, you can do that one. Yeah. You know, no, so it's, it's great. Kind of- Get them young. I was actually speaking to a potential client recently. And they said to me, yeah, you know, it's great. Like I can change the way I cook for me, but then there's my whole family. Like, what do I do about them? And I'm like, you do your cooking. You, they're going to follow you. And she said, well, they're used to all these things. And I'm like, and they'll get used to other stuff. You have an opportunity right now to, and to your point, to re-educate, recalibrate the palates of your family and teach those kids what it is to eat real food. Like I grew up in a household where my mom cooked everything from scratch. And I now have a 22 year old who cooks for himself. Like he doesn't always cook for himself, but he knows how to cook for himself. And he understands the value of making his own food. And if we can get out of that mindset of, oh, the kids need to have hot dogs and mac and cheese and whatnot and move into a space of learning to make. And to your point, you know, and I think you've got resources that help people to make food without being in the kitchen for two hours and make it delicious and make it healthy. Like it just doesn't take any more time to make a healthy food than it does an unhealthy food. A lot of the, you know, it'll be a simpler dish if you will, but it'll, it can be light years better for your family. And it's an opportunity for everybody to step through the door together. Well, we can speak to that for a little bit. Um, I mean, cause, cause one thing is, is I think 
we assume that just because we eat every day that we're supposed to love cooking. And the reality is, is most people don't. A lot of people really do not like cooking. Now, just because you don't like it, you shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, don't mm-hmm. don't think just because you don't like it that you can't still find a way to do it because because we really, that's ultimately what we're advocating here is we're saying, you want to be healthy, you got to make your own food. So how do we, so then the next question that I would ask them is that, well, how can we find joy in this thing that you don't really like? And so I, I always try to kind of get people into a different mindset. So I say, well, don't, don't read a recipe because maybe that's very overwhelming for you. So think of it more like a, a, a formula, mm-hmm. you know? So, okay, well, what's in the formula of my plate? Well, I need to have protein. I need to have fat and uh, maybe vegetables, right? Um, but that's, those, those are really the three main ingredients. That's really it. I mean, yeah, if you want to have uh, resistant starches, that's all relative to whatever your diet is. But, but those are the three main things that you're going to need. And I say, so just so start there. So just choose what your protein is. And, and the easiest way to do any of this stuff is to just saute it, just to create yeah. a stir fry kind of that's always the easiest or roast it on a pan or one sheet dinner versus or a saute those are always the easiest ways um but so you start choose a fat we just talked about ghee that's a fat okay so you'll use some ghee you, you start with the tablespoon and and you're then adding that you add the protein oh wait the it looks like i don't have any more fat in my pan so now add a little bit more you know what i mean like just keep looking at the meal and in assessing well the amount of food that i I'm using in this formula, does this need more mm-hmm. of whatever I'm giving? And then, and you just do it that, that way. And, yeah. and I find, uh, when you simplify these things, maybe you play music that you really like, you mm-hmm. know, uh, maybe you, um, uh, in the background have your favorite podcast, you know, whatever it is, like you, you create the environment that's going to bring you joy for this activity that is not joyful to you. Yeah. Well, and you, you can also, if there's other people in your household, enlist them, you know, especially if there's kids in the household, get them involved because this is how they learn from us. And of course, then you've got your beautiful pluck seasonings that you can just sprinkle on top and add some complexity to your dish without having done anything fancy. Right. As you said, like you roast, broil, saute your protein. Sometimes you can throw the vegetables right in there with the protein and just keep it simple. So one thing I'm, I want to make sure we talk about before we're done with this episode is how much organs are people getting from the Plex seasoning? Yeah. So this, the, the flavored ones have 15% of the organ meat blend. And I'm always telling people that you can't, it's not apples to apples. So like if I have a raw organ, mm-hmm. And I freeze dry that or so when it's raw, it's hundred percent and I freeze it, freeze dry it, not freeze it. Sorry, freeze dry. I'm left with about 23%, 20 to 23%. So it's shrunk. Yeah. It's shrunk. I mean, that water, you lose that water weight. So I'm taking a hundred percent organ and I'm now left with about 20%. So that's very concentrated. So when I say 15%, don't think like, oh, that's nothing. It's something you're getting micronutrients plus frequent use equals cumulative effect. And the more often you use it, which I recommend people just treat it like salt and pepper, like just mm-hmm. use it on everything. The more you use it, the more benefits you get. And then we do have a hundred percent product. If you're like, oh, I, I know that I that I want 
you know, maximum nutrition, great. Then use Pluck Pure. That's 100%. And now you're getting really concentrated amounts. But you still don't need to use a lot. I still recommend people only use about a half a teaspoon to a teaspoon for an entire meal, not just for themselves. I'm saying for like a family. Wow. Like you, don't, you don't need tons. Because keep in mind, based on what we talked about earlier, there's still only one liver in that animal for the whole tribe. Like you, you don't need, you know, four ounces of organ meat every day. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we, we only we can get micronutrients, we can get micro amounts daily, and that will add up over time. And I always use the example of like, well, let's, if you're wondering, does micro, um, micro dosing, that's basically what we're talking about is micro dosing work. Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at where it's worked to the negative uh, glyphosate. You know, when yeah. glyphosate came out in the late 50s, it was FDA said, oh, no, this this is micro amounts that won't affect human health. And now look at us. We it's in our breast milk. It's in our it's in our food. It's tissues. in our water. It's in our air. It's every it's tissue. It's everywhere. We cannot get rid of it. And and many people will will support that it's probably killing us. Like that yeah. it's it's causing way more harm now than anyone ever thought was possible. And and that was micro. That was even smaller amounts than we're putting in plucking. I mean, we're talking micro, micro, micro amounts. Yeah. And, and now it's everywhere. So micro dosing works. Mm-hmm. And considering that we are now currently, when you look at the, the seasonings, for example, on the market, what, what is it you're actually putting on your food right now? Well, most people are putting on Lowry's all purpose or something like that. And some of these things have sugar. Some of them have like uh, wheat in them. Some of them have um, MSG. like shelf stabilizer, MSG shelf stabilizers. So and most of them, they'll have lots of salt and no nutrients like because mm-hmm. it, it's not even good salt, right? So you got to just look at it like, like I, that's how I kind of simplify. I'm like, look, you're already seasoning your food and you're not getting nutrients from it. So now you're seasoning your food. You're getting these whole food nutrients. We use Redmond Real Salt, which is a great salt company. And we're just, we're just putting that quality, whole nutrient-dense food we're making it super easy for you to get those micro dosings for every meal. And what I love, you know, you're a parent, I'm a parent. And that's really one of my motivators when I created this was how do I get these nutrient dense foods into my kids without a fight? Yeah. Once again, it's gotta be easy. And I, and I, and I, and I go back to that principle of like, I've got to make health sustainable, but it's gotta be realistic. If I have to fight my kid every time to get them to eat pate or get them to eat some organ, then that's not easy. That's that making my life harder. And, mm-hmm. and, and our lives are already hard enough. Oh, you know for I mean? sure. Just being a parent is hard. Right. So it's like, like I, I'm all about what, how can I make this easy for myself as a parent, but yet still get these nutrients into my kid. And for my money, pluck has been working beautifully. I, my kids ask for it on everything. Love I don't it. even have to, I don't have to put it on myself. They ask for it. They put it on their eggs. They put it on toast. They put it on popcorn. They put it on tacos. They put it on uh, steak. You know, we we've tried it on oysters. It's, I mean, it goes with everything. I love it. So we're going to wrap up. What are the different flavors? And do you have anything else new coming down the pipes people should know? And do you want to talk about your, no, we're not going to talk about Organuary only because this isn't coming out. This is going to come out. I know this is going to come out after Organuary. No, I was aware of that. But just know that if you're hearing this and you've heard us talk about Organuary, you can make Organuary any month of the year. (laughs) (laughs) You can commit to eating organ meats at any point. Yeah, Organuary. (laughs) Organuary. 
uh, I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh, organ number, organ number. Um, no, I don't know. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so many, you, you, I just recommend like, check us out at eatpluck.com. We have tons of recipes. We're constantly putting out, um, just value and, and tips on how you can ease into organ meats. Pluck is definitely the gateway. It's just, I, it's so easy to get in it, but I, I'm not saying you, that pluck is the only thing you should do. I, what we're, we're really advocating is eating notice detail. So I yeah. want you to then explore eating the whole organs. Um, I just want you to get into it. And, and I know that pluck will help because one of the things we were talking about earlier is the palate and how mm-hmm. I was saying how uh, I changed those, those people's palate in a couple of weeks. Well, you can do that with yourself when you cut out, you know, and, Anything that's sweet, when you cut out alcohol, when you cut out a lot of these starches that convert into your body quickly and um, convert into sugar quickly in your body, you're basically recalibrating your body to then be more sensitive to things that are really sweet. And so we used to do this thing called the sugar control detox, and we basically remove starches, we remove desserts, alcohol, and most fruit. And after two weeks, people would try to drink a glass of wine and couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, these are people that were drinking three glasses before the two weeks. So you, you really start to, to taste the real food out there, what real food tastes like. And, um, and that's what actually using pluck does is because it's umami and it's very savory meaty, it actually kind of helps to change your palate. Um, I'll end, I'll kind of end with this story. This is so cool. I was so excited to hear this, but a practitioner that I, that I know, had a client whose child was spectrum and their child was a very picky eater would only eat like maybe three foods. And so the practitioner said, here, I don't want you to change anything, but just start adding pluck to their food. And just doing that one thing helped to change their child's palate to then welcome in other flavors. Wow. And now the child's eating more adventurously and they can actually start to incorporate different healthier foods just because the kid is being now more willing to try these new foods. So you cannot underestimate the power of getting these flavors, getting this nutrition into your body and how important and how even these small little things can create huge, huge lasting effects. Love it. I love it. Okay. So sir, eatpluck.com. What are the flavors that are available right now? There's so we a couple of really good ones. All purpose. Yeah, we have all yeah. purpose, which is, uh, it's got smoked paprika and it. it's kind of just a general, really good spice. We have a spicy version of that, which a lot of people tell me is their favorite. And then we have a zesty garlic, which is a, um, has no seeds, no nightshade. So that's an, uh, AIP product. Yeah. And, um, that one is kind of very ranchy tasting. It's got some carrot, uh, um, carrot in it and lots of herbs it's just reminds me of kind of like a ranch kind of dressing a little bit and um and then we have pluck pure which is no spices no herbs um no salt so we have those four products available at this point where i hope to go down the road is to as i mentioned earlier is i want to create even go beyond seasonings and create other products that incorporate more nose to tail so i'm still utilizing the freeze-dried um, modern technique of getting these organs, but I would love to eventually have brain available, like have basically mm-hmm. like a men's health line, a yeah. women's health line. And you're utilizing, I'm utilizing the different organs that specifically feed those, you know, has like for women, it would have ovaries. It would have 
um, heart. It would have all these different things that would help brain and then for men too, and then even have like a cognitive line. So, so really continue down that road of function, functionality with food. Love it. Um, but all love whole it. food based, all whole foods. I love it. Well, and you could even do like a pluck curry and a pluck tie. Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, that's, there's the possibilities are endless. The curry or we could just take the, the pluck cure and add it to our curry powder. I mean, you know, yeah. obviously, but. Absolutely. And we recommend people do that as well as like, just, just create your own pluck, you know, with that pluck pure. Make your pluck. Okay. <laughs> so guys, if you go to pluck.com, you get access to all these resources and more of James amazing stuff. And also if you use discount code BSP10, you get to save 10% off your purchase. And we're starting to see pluck. Like I'm, you know, I'm the podcaster in Canada too. So often we're talking about products that are not available in Canada, but I've started to see a couple of pluck things in a couple of very niche stores. So hopefully we get to see pluck a lot more pluck. If you don't see it, uh, tell them to carry it. Cause I yeah. think the more we get the word out there, the easier it will be for us to get it sold. Cause uh, we have so many people asking us in Canada for it, but we need your help. Cause I don't, I don't know if this store, the health boosters, I don't know if they realize how much you want it. Yeah, well, you know, and anyway, we're it's a whole other topic with the whole vegan movement and the around yes. the health food industry and stuff. So we're not going to go there today. We'll save it for another day, but because uh, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> that's a whole other kind it of is. fish. It is. But thank you so much, James, for your time today and for doing what you do. Because I think that you know, one dish at a time, you're making the world a better place. So, oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or if you'd like to leave any comments or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.